Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and the 97.5 Network, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, this is one of my favorite times of the year. Uh, My parents would say that I skipped class all the time, but I particularly skipped class in college during March. Lacrosse season? No, no, no. March Madness, man. I I, brackets. I'd sit there. I would not move for days. It'd be wonderful. Filling not move because you have your brackets. Yeah, I have. I have games to pick. Oh, okay. So is it you? Not you're not moving because you're picking out your brackets, or you're not moving because you're watching the games after you pick your brackets. Like how much time do you? How much time do you spend filling out one bracket? Now, as a 42-year-old father, it takes me longer to fill it out because I don't okay. really know anything about that, what's going on. Back w- then, before you had two kids, how long would you would like? Would you like sit down and research and read about all the 16 seeds and the 15 seeds? All right. So, in fairness, I probably would have already known a bunch of it that I didn't need to read because of all the games I watched. Okay, so basically, you were just saying I'm a de- you were a degenerate and you kind of just knew all of this stuff because you watched all the other games that nobody else was watching except alumni from those schools. Yeah, I thought you knew that. We've been doing the show for a couple of years. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think my parents would have appreciated me paying a little more attention in school. But this, I love this time of year. I used to. Why? Look it, how it turned out for you. It, it worked out fine See, at the time. Exactly. I, I think they had their questions. Well, it turned <laughs> out all, all this time, your parents were wrong. Uh, did you watch the play in games last night? It's- Jeff, you there? I am here. I we, had a little, we had a little te- technological thing where you where you just kept saying weird over and over and over again. Uh, I thought maybe you were doing some sort of new rap thing. I got I got my first vaccine shot. I got to get back in the studio. <laughs> this doing this remote. You never know. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Get. Do you think the vaccine actually is now affecting your technology? <laughs> I'll blame it is, on anything. Is that what you're thinking is going on here? I'll blame my failure to have technology work on anything right. well, that I can. Well, I'm guessing Tom Izzo wishes that his game was impacted by technology that ended just a wee bit earlier than it actually ended. Uh, probably. I Could you believe what happened last night in that game? I mean, Michigan State totally blew it, right? They Michigan State was so much better than UCLA. There is no way. They, they pulled way ahead, and then they just gave it up. I mean, sometimes you just got to wonder. I had heard stories that that kind of the Michigan State team just kind of gave up this season. And it looked to me like they just kind of gave up in that game. I don't know what happens because UCLA has not been playing well for most of the season. They weren't playing well going into the tournament. And somehow they weren't playing well at the beginning of the game. And then Michigan State kind of just took their foot off the gas. Yeah, I was shocked. I, I mean, I didn't think UCLA was going to come back. I didn't think UCLA would take it in overtime. There were some good games last night. It was definitely fun to watch everything. Some, well, some, yeah, but somebody's got to explain to me how they figured out the play-in games. Because Michigan State and, and UCLA, even this year, are a lot better than the teams that are on seed lines that are, that are lower than them, but they have to play in these play-in games. Well, why don't we go to somebody who's uh, been through it before, knows a lot more about this whole process than we do, Penn men's basketball coach, Steve Donahue. Coach, thanks for giving us a few minutes today. How are you doing? What's up, guys? Best uh, day of the year. First day of the tournament. 
I, you're a basketball junkie and, and we're going to get to that in a second. Uh, so I uh, believe me, we got lots of questions there, but what gives it away that he is <laughs> Oh, you, Jeff, you should the, the things that people like t- his players talk about how they've never seen anybody watch so much video and just always watching games. But coach, we wanted to ask you first, we, we got to be a part of uh, the coaches versus cancer tourney tip off breakfast this week. And you were a part of it. The event raised over $60,000. Talk a little bit about what that means for you to participate and what it was like this year with the virtual version of the event going forward. Well, I'm really proud uh, that all of us, six coaches here in the city, are part of this uh, Coaches versus Cancer initiative from the National Association of Basketball Coaches. And in particular, our local chapter has done an incredible job with Phil Martelli and Fran Duffy starting this from nothing and raising over $17 million. Um, so if we can use our platform and, and help crush this horrific disease, then I'm going to do my part. And this year's uh, virtual was obviously different, but it was amazing to see that many people still supporting it, in particular on a year with COVID. Uh, as I said, I can't be more proud of our, our local chapter, and I'm glad to do my part. You know, we talked to you at the beginning of the season about the coaches versus cancer. What was it like to be part of this, even if it was virtual? Uh, what was it like to be part of the event? Well, listen, I think we've all been affected by cancer. And uh, I was reminded this week we have a, a young guy named Ryan Smith, who is a basketball player at East Stroudsburg, who's going through treatment at Chapman uh, Pennsylvania Hospital. And it's really, it's really, he's really struggling. Uh, I think of those moments, and if we can sit down and and try to do something to crush this horrible disease, uh, we're going to do it. Um, And as I said, I think Philadelphia is amazing. Uh, I saw this from the start. Fran Dumpy and Phil Martelli started with two tables at an Applebee's um, and raised a couple hundred dollars to. You know, 17 years later, uh, we're up to $17 million. Um, so if I can use my platform uh, to help uh, crush cancer, then I'm going to do it. Coach, as you mentioned before, we're at the beginning of the tournament now. Um, every year, one of the things that I look forward to most is seeing the Ivy League team play in that first-round game, usually Princeton or Penn. What is it like for you as an Ivy League coach to see the tournament be played, but know that none of the Ivy League teams were there this year? Yeah, I am um, obviously very different. And, you know, I've been in the Ivies for a long time. Not only do we get there, we usually represent well. We've had teams advance. Um, I, you know, at this time, I feel for my guys. I mean, we're, we're older. We're going to be doing this for a long time, but the kids have this short window of playing in the NCAA tournament, their dream, and it's taken away from them. So uh, I've been amazed at my guys' resilience. Uh, we practice for seven weeks now. Uh, we're watching the tournament. Uh, I'd be lying if there wasn't part of me that's kind of frustrated, but at the same time, uh, putting it in perspective, COVID has flipped this world on its on its tail, and we're just a small part of it. And the kids are resilient, as they said, and they'll be back. And um, we're going to root for 
colleagues and friends and and hope for their success and enjoy the tournament like everybody else. I sort of mentioned at the start of the interview, you being a, a student of the game. I don't know if you saw this quote from uh, one of your big men, AJ Brodeur, said, dude watches more film than most Americans watch TV or anything. <laughs> the definition of when you call someone a student of the game. I saw somebody else say, Donahue seems to eat, sleep, and breathe basketball. So who else should we have on to talk about the tournament? What are you seeing with the way the brackets laid out? And how excited are you, even though you're not in the tournament for the first day, to see this all tip off? I'm excited because I do think it uh, really captures our country. and In particular, we needed this as a country. Uh, the vaccines are, are getting out. It's spring and March Madness is here. I think it's all good. Um, I don't know if those comments are really uh, an indication that I don't have many other interests. Uh, but I do love basketball. <laughs> I love coaching young guys. Um, and the tournament is, to me, it's probably our most fair tournament we've ever structured because there's no really home court advantage. Typically, you line up teams uh, that are higher in the bracket with their home court. There's none of that this year. So I think we're going to see some upsets. And we got local guy, Johnny Gallagher. Uh, fighting tooth and nail right now with uh, Baylor as a 16 seed. Uh, but there's a lot of great teams, and I got my thoughts, and uh, I do think it's going to be an incredible, wild tournament. Do you think that there's a chance that this, the way that they're doing the tournament this year could be a model for future years instead of having teams go all over the country that maybe have it in one central location? You know, I, I think there'll be merit to that on a lot of levels. Um, but what I think will be the deciding factor is I mean, they sell out these arenas all over the country. Um, hotels and the amount of money for all those local economies will prohibit it. It is pretty special. Like we went to Wichita, Kansas and we played Kansas. But even our practice session there's 15,000 people there for an open practice. Um, I think those are the things that, and you know, that the NCAA loves and the kids love. It's a great experience. So I don't think you'll ever take that away, even though this is the one year that I think we'll all enjoy. You know, you mentioned Coach Martelli. He's out there at Michigan. I've got a Michigan alum here with me, Jeff. He's wearing his Michigan sweatshirt, is very excited. What's your thoughts on, on how they're going to do in the tournament going in with an injury? But uh, they put look pretty good this season. Well, they've had an incredible year. Uh, Phil and Jawan Howard uh, have done an amazing job. Um, they actually had a transfer from Columbia as their starting point guard, Mike Smith. And I thought they were the best team two weeks ago. Uh, but when you lose someone like Livers, um, who is, to me, the best all-around player, and more importantly, more of the soul of the team. I'm concerned that if it goes deeper in the tournament that they're going to be run against teams that are just just more healthy and more ready to win. But I'm rooting for Phil and obviously love to see him advance. As a coach, as you go into a tournament like this and you do have somebody that goes down, whether it be from injury or from this year with the protocols, 
How do you deal with that as a coach? How do you, how do you get not only the players that are going to have to still play the game, but the player, the student athlete, that's not going to be able to play. How do you deal with that as a coach? I think there's two different uh, answers to that question. I think the simple one for your team is you don't blink. You, you go right to the next guy and you build it up and say, listen, this is going to be no more difficult and no less difficult. It's just going to be different. And we got a challenge, and we had a challenge before such and such went down. Um, and that's how you approach everything with the team. With the guy, I mean, this is a really devastating thing for a particular senior to get hurt. I mean, you got to feel for him. You got to get with him. You got to talk to him. You got to got to really, really be there for support and and understand that unfortunately life deals us these blows, and you got to move on and and really look forward to the next thing in your life. So I'm the Rutgers grad on the show who finally, for the first time in 30 years, gets to see my basketball team in the tourney. Uh, What are your thoughts on them matching up against Clemson tonight? I told Jeff I was just excited they didn't play the game before we went on the air so that my team is still in the tournament and Jeff can't give me a hard time about it. (laughs) I love Rutgers. Steve Pico is a great coach and more importantly, just an incredible person. He's built this from scratch and you know all the ups and downs of Rutgers. Actually playing a very similar team, Brad Brunel and Clemson. Very hard-nosed defense. I think the game's in the 50s. I think Rutgers has more talent, and I think they win this game. Uh, you just made my day. All right, who else, if somebody's out there listening, checking over their brackets, who else are you looking out for that you think can make a little noise in the tournament that isn't maybe a number one seed that's getting all the attention? Yeah. I love BYU. BYU has really good size and uh, they're older uh, several kids that went on Mormon missions uh, but there's a kid Harms who was a transfer from Purdue he's 7-4 and they had a kid Barcelo Alex Barcelo a guard who I think is an NBA player I think they're undervalued at a six seed I think they make a deep run I also think Wisconsin as a nine seed had an up and down year but they're older and as the games go on in the tournament, they play in a slow pace, but they execute. And the tournament's kind of made for teams like Wisconsin. Look for those two, in my mind, to make deep runs. What do you do when you have a player like Matt Garza? Going into a tournament, he's a guy who's dominated all season. If you're playing him, do you just put as many men as possible on him, or can you not guard him, and do you just kind of play your game? Yeah, that's Luca Garza from Iowa, but uh, most likely the, the player of the year in our country. Uh, coached by Fran McCafferty, a Penn grad and a LaSalle College high school grad. Um, the hard part of playing Iowa, they're the number one offensive team in the country. So if you do stop Luca Garza, you're picking your poison because they really shoot it. Um, if they can defend, I think they make a run for the championship. I actually have them winning the national championship. I think they're older. They've gotten better defensively. And as you mentioned, Luca Garza is just a great offensive player. What do you make of the, the when the games are being played this year? It's a Friday, Saturday for the first round, Sunday, Monday for the second. And then as you go into next weekend, 
it's a Saturday, Sunday for the Sweet 16, and the Elite Eight is a Monday, Tuesday. Does that change the way coaches prepare, or does that really not matter when you play? You're just getting your guys ready. You know, um, I think everything's different this year. I think the advantage, though, um, for as a coach is they're not changing locations. We're not flying. We're not going back. We're not going back to class. We're staying in the same hotel. So they'll have three or four days in between those rounds that you spoke of. And I'll, I think it's going to be incredible basketball because of those factors. I think the thing for fans, we all got used to, you know, the first round, Thursday, Friday, second round, Saturday, Sunday, take four days off and come back Thursday. But I don't know about you, COVID's messed up the whole calendar. I don't know what day of week it is. Uh, I'm just excited that there's basketball back, and I think the rest of the country is as well. Coach, as you watch this, does it make you excited and motivated for next season already? It absolutely does. So we started practicing about seven weeks ago. And, I, 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 I you know, when you hear the one shining moment, um, the motivation in your your blood just to, just to know that's the finish line, um, not just for you, but for your guys. You know they dreamed of that. So every day is, that's in the back of your mind. Like, everything we're doing is to get to this stage and, have these kids' experiences uh, working together, uh, the common goal of uh, really giving up yourself and something bigger than yourself to achieve so they can have these memories. Um, and that's that's what we all, as coaches, do for them. Yeah, this is inspiring for sure. Uh, I'm watching John Gallagher and what he's done at Hartford for 11 years, all the downtime to now just playing a number one seed and giving it his best is, is truly inspiring, really. Well, we can't wait to see you and your guys back on the court getting to play real games next season. We thank you, obviously, for the work you've done with Coaches versus Cancer, and we look forward to following the results of all your video time study that prepped us for who to look <laughs> out for. Thanks so much for giving us some time, Coach. Yeah, we have virtual events coming up. We have our Jim Maloney golf outing. I think you can go to our website, the American cancer society.org. And man, we love to have everybody involved. We really, we really are hands on all of us coaches. So if there's anybody uh, that isn't involved yet, please, it's an incredible cause and we'd love to have you. Well, coach, I got one more question. Which, which, sure. which of the Philly six uh, is the best golfer? Oh, well, Fran Duffy's the best golfer, and he's an honorary coach still. He's an AD. It's not even a close second. That's why I say Fran Duffy is, without <laughs> a doubt, the real golfer. All of us are kind of you know, weekend hacks. Well, we need to get some video of that going on, and that'll be entertaining for people. <laughs> Thanks so much for the time, Coach. Enjoy the tournament. Uh, have a great weekend, guys. Thanks for having me on. Take care. Jeff, the, the excitement – I was, I told you, I was reading the quotes and just his players talking about how he watches more video than people watch TV. I, I knew that he'd come on. We saw him the other day. We saw how prepared he was and did not let me down at all. You, you know, what's funny as I sit there and, and you know me at this time of year, even though it's March madness time and how much I love 
college basketball and I'm ready for my Michigan boys to play tomorrow. I'm looking out the window. The sun is back shining again. And all I'm thinking about is baseball. once the tournament ends, it's baseball. So what do I do? Instead of saying Luca Garza, I say Matt Garza, who for mm. people that don't know is, is a pitcher who pitched for the Rays for a long time. So the best part <laughs> and worst part of live radio is that you realize the things you say wrong, either in real time or oh, it's always names. If for yeah. us, it's always names is it, because because there are so many people in different sports that 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 have the same last name and we always mess them up. I was encouraged and we always he, will. So there's no point. I was encouraged it. by what he said about Rutgers, Jeff. I was definitely no, no, no. What he encouraged me. He's a smart guy. He he obviously watches a lot more video than even you. That's um, it. But it is Rutgers. Jeff, who did you pick in your pool? Rutgers or Clemson? What for today or for the tournament? Who did you pick, Rutgers or Clemson, Jeff? Rutgers. Absolutely, that's right. I should have been ready with a fight song. Don't worry. And and who did who did I who did I pick to win the national championship? Well, you filled out two sheets, so my guess is Michigan in one. And no, I'm both. I, I don't do this this non sheet of integrity. My, mine, I went. Yeah, I I've even gotten guff from. Well, look at the words I'm using. Look at from, you from from several people in one of my polls, which is a Michigan poll, and they're like only two people from Michigan actually pick Michigan. <laughs> I was yeah, one it's of funny. Them. Michigan people are down on Michigan. It seems like because of the well, injury. look. It, Livers has been there for a long time. Everybody has watched him grow. He really is a leader and a good guy. So you want to root for him. He is incredibly versatile. You know, he's not dominant in any area of the game, but he's really good in a lot of areas. So when you lose a guy like that, regardless of forget talking about Michigan, but when you lose a player who is so integral to your team and has such versatility, it's hard to replace it because it's not like you're just replacing a rebounder or just replacing a shooter. I mean, Georgia Tech, I think, lost its best player, at least for the first game, possibly the first weekend mm-hmm. because of COVID protocols. When you lose somebody like that, I, I understand what Coach Donahue said, which is you just you can't blink. As a coach, you just have to go forward. I often wonder, though, are they that focused that they can do that? I know the coach can do it. The question is, can the players do it? I mean, when you're the guys in the locker room with you, like Livers, he is the leader of that team. All of a sudden, he'll be on the sideline. He'll still be vocal, but it's not the same thing as having the guy out there. You do, you would think that they blink. They think that their shoulders got to drop a little bit, right? You and would that, think so. That's the kind. That's the kind of thing that worries me about about Michigan or any team that's going to lose its best player. Well, going into the tournament. We will keep watching the tournament. We'll have plenty more to talk about with it. You mentioned the weather outside in baseball. Jeff, I have bad news for you. You do? Vince, well, you may take it as good news. I don't know. I got, I got tickets for the second game, so I, there's nothing that's going to get me down. Vince Velasquez has an oblique injury. Well, look, I don't, I don't want her. I don't want anybody to get I know hurt. you don't want injury, what, but what you I, also don't want Velasquez in the starting staff. And this would seem to indicate he wouldn't be in the starting. Well, staff. I want, I want him in the bullpen. I still think I may be the last remaining person that believes this, that he has value. And, and his value to me is I want to see him in the bullpen where he can just be unleashed for an inning. I just want to see if he doesn't have to hold anything back, what it'll be like. Now it may be, four walks and three strikeouts and two runs in one inning. But I, I would love to see what it would be like if he committed to that role, just, just 
you know, not he's always hoping he's going to get back into the starting rotation. So he's got to keep himself stretched out. I would love to know if he mentally and physically committed to the role of closer, could he be the dominant closer that I keep thinking he would be? I think the first question is, can you get him to mentally commit to that? Well, that's it. That that's always been my concern is he doesn't buy it. I mean, last, last spring, uh, actually it was winter when they had the winter caravan. You got all excited. I remember you called me from the winter caravan. You were glowing through the phone because Joe Girardi indicated potentially that Vince Velasquez might eat the bullpen. Yeah. So this was after Joe Girardi was hired as the founder. They had the winter caravan. We're out in Redding. And I asked him the question and he, he seemed to be, it wasn't just like Joe Girardi. He's by the way, he's great interview. He is, he is a great front man for any organization. And, and he's very honest with his, his thoughts. And his thought was, look, I just think I can turn him into this. And, and he was giving the example of what he did with pitchers with the Yankees. And I just, I'm sitting there going, yeah, I'm buying into it. But of course, <laughs> that was easy. I'm thinking that he could get Vince to buy into this. And then it didn't happen. <laughs> It, it, just, it just didn't happen. Hurt. And I, I want to see it happen. I mean, that to me, that's not the biggest issue right now, though. The question is, we got a bunch of guys in center field and we don't know who it's going to be. Before we get to the center fielders, I do want to talk about some of the injuries. And, you know, they're kind of all over the place. One of them impacts center field in terms of uh, Adam Hazley not being available. He was one of the people who they yeah, thought might pressure. compete for it. He's apparently progressing well shagged fly balls but he was supposed to be out four weeks with a groin strain Didi Gregorius was hit in the back of the head by a pitch on Tuesday had been having some headaches but it's not clear if he's got a concussion but I'm more concerned with the pitching because you've got Spencer Howard who had back spasms and didn't really get to pitch and then you have Zach Eflin whose back flared up and now you've got Velasquez with an oblique issue uh, your pitching was your Achilles heel last year, primarily the bullpen, not as much the starters. But how? what is your concern level about what's going on right now with the team? It would just be nice to be able to go into the beginning of the season healthy and then deal with it from there. What's frustrating is when you have all of these things coming up a couple of weeks before you start the season. I mean, we are less than two weeks away from opening day. That's so exciting. And- I know. And, and so, you know, Aaron Nola is probably going to be the opening day starter, followed by Zach Wheeler, who's going to go that Saturday, which I will be at. And, and, and then you have the question marks. And the question mark shouldn't be, it should be Eflin should just be the starter. But now you have that concern. And then you have the concern with Howard. And then you still don't know. I mean, Matt Moore's had a good spring training. Chase Anderson has had a good spring training. It seems like you have more depth. You just don't know how long these guys can go. Is that Phillies game going to be your first game outside? We covered the Union game. That was, I know, your first game. First is this baseball the first game in what, game? two years? Yeah, right. Because, and that's got to be hard for you. I mean, you're a baseball guy. You're like, for our listeners, Jeff's not just the guy that goes down to the Phillies games. Jeff goes to Trenton. Jeff goes to Reading. Hundreds. Jeff, Hundreds. Jeff goes wherever. That that's Jeff's thing. Well, well, it's and and look, it was our thing for three seasons. Yeah, look, you know, I've, I've loved traveling around to all the stadiums and talking to these guys before they make it up. You and I were texting the other day about the current state of the farm system and and where things are. It doesn't yeah, know I mean, what I'm talking it, about. And that's something. I mean, it's something to look at. The fact that the farm system right now 
at least in the major league rankings, it doesn't look that good. But we've looked in past years and seen that sometimes those rankings aren't reflective of what actually happens during the season. People develop at different rates. What concerned me is that somebody like De Los Santos was hum, was very high on that list. <laughs> Moniac was not in the top 10 and so far has had a really good spring training and you wonder whether or not he could bust out and actually be somebody who makes this this team. Well, is he in line for the center field competition? It, it, I, don't, I don't think so. I think this is going to be one of those situations where the Phillies say, well, you know, we're not going to rush him and, and that kind of thing because you do have other center field options. Assuming Roman Quinn doesn't get hurt again, he is an option. So let's, let's talk about your center field options. Your options right now are basically Quinn, Kingery, and Herrera with Hazley down, correct? Right. Okay, so it, as Herrera is his own story, but if we're just going to look at it from the baseball side, he's clearly the one that's had the best spring. He's won the position. If you're looking at it from that way. No, I don't think so. I really don't. I I mean, look, he's had a couple games where he's, he's hit a home and he had a long home run. Um, He's happened. He's had a couple decent games, but if you watch him in the outfield and Clearwater is hard to tell because Clearwater does have, if you've ever been down, we've been down there. There's a lot of wind in that stadium all the time. And, but Oduble does not make a good line to a baseball. He is not, and if pe- people don't know this, he was, I think he was a, a, an infielder to start his career. He is not a natural outfielder. He will never be a great outfielder. He certainly will never be a great center fielder. So defensively, he's not the guy. Now, Roman Quinn can cover a lot of ground on defense, if but he doesn't, make a, he doesn't make a great line to the ball either. That's why Hazley was so smooth out there. I, you made the point of if you're just looking at baseball, I can't just look at baseball when it comes to Herrera. I but just it seems like it. I know you can't, but it seems like the Phillies are. So you may not cheer for him. But I don't know if every... the Phillies, yeah, but I don't know if the Phillies are, or if the Phillies are just saying are just saying that or is doing all the right things so that he could be trade bait so they can get him off of their plate because they made a mistake. They had the option, they had the ability before the spring spring training started to just kind of let him go. Because they, but now you have a situation where you can't do that double dip situation. And now they're stuck with him because he's kind of playing okay. And I think they made a big mistake there. Well, he's kind of playing okay. And the other people, but he's not playing great. The other people, again, it's the other people who they would want to take the position aren't taking it. You know, Roman Quinn and Scott Kingery are being given every chance to take the position, and it doesn't seem like either of them are doing that in the eyes of this team right now. Yeah, Scott Kingery is, you know, I really thought that he was going to be one of those guys who was going to come up to the majors, and he was just going to take control. And he just doesn't take advantage of those opportunities for whatever reason. He's just not the guy that he was coming up through the system. And he moved up through the system pretty quickly. He did. Jeff, why don't we leave the baseball talk there? We'll hit the break for a couple seconds, come back, start talking a little basketball, and then we'll bring Keith Pompey on. Stick with us. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. 
Jeff, we're going to have Keith on in a few minutes. Uh, we'll talk some basketball. We'll talk more. You mean you more lock- basketball? Yeah, lots of basketball. <laughs> I, look, you know, you know, I could talk basketball the whole show. Uh, do you want to talk Flyers for like three minutes before we talk basketball? You want to talk about all nine goals the other night? What would you like to talk about? You, you want to talk about a tough week for this team. They're, they're well, can four. I be Mr. Positive for one second? Go for it. For, just for those that don't know who think that the sky is falling, before the show started, we did a little research and found out there are at least 10 games with bigger margins for a shutout than 9 nothing. <laughs> the largest being 15 nothing. So this was not the worst game in history. Although I, d- I didn't have a chance to look if it was the worst game not coached by any professional coaches for the Rangers. <laughs> that is amazing. They couldn't have any other coaches coach because they were in COVID protocol. They're like the Rochester Wolves coach came up and coached the game. <laughs> yeah, it was nine nothing. Look, they're four and six in their last 10 games. They're in fifth place in the East, 15, 10, and three record. They're three points behind the Bruins in this weird stretch. They're in the middle of it of five games against opponents from New York, split between the Rangers and Islanders, while also playing 10 of 11 games against New York State teams when you factor in the Sabres. So they're just all around New York right now. But they have been very, you, you said it last night in a text message to me, a Jekyll and Hyde team. Some nights their defense is tighter for two periods for the whole game. Uh, then other nights like the 9 nothing uh, shellacking, you have Elliott give up five goals, Hart come in, give up four goals. What are you seeing out of this team right now? And what's your concern level? The defense stinks. It's not just one guy. The defense has been horrible. I mean, look, Brought you, you took Elliott out of the game after giving out five goals and Carter Hart came in and gave up four. And it's not just the goalie. I mean, yes, they should not have given up nine, even if there was no defense. I don't know what happened. I don't know what's going on with this team. And I don't know how it's happening that they're giving up this much, go- this many goals. I mean, yesterday when I texted you, to be fair, the Jekyll and Hyde was the Flyers were up three nothing. Yeah, you jinxed it. Yeah, I know. It, it, Philadelphia, it was my fault. It was your fault. You you said this is a different team, and I wrote back, yup. And then and all 30 of a seconds, sudden, 30 seconds later, they gave up a goal, and then they followed by two more goals. I, I just don't know what they're going to do at this point to fix this problem. They need to fix this problem. I, this team is not just one guy away from being that good. Okay, so if they're not just one guy away from being that good, where are you on this season right now? You're, you're at this point where, you know, do you go all in to try to do something or do you make some moves to break it down? Where are you on what this team is? Because clearly they thought they addressed the defensive issue. They clearly did not. So when you say they thought they addressed the issue, what did they do in the offseason that addressed the issue? They lost Niskin. So how did they address the issue? They brought Gustafson in. Who just turns it over all the time? It's it, but it's not just Gustafson. I mean, there's three shifts on defense, and and all three shifts stink. They're just not playing well, and they they need to do more than one thing. And I don't understand. I don't know if it's the defensive coaches aren't putting them in the right positions. I can't tell you at this point exactly what the problem is, other than they are giving up a lot of goals, some that are pretty easy goals, and you cannot have a goalie who who doesn't have people that are in the right spot, doesn't make lanes for him so that he can see. There's all sorts of things. And and Carter Hart has regressed. 
Yeah, we'll get back to our concern level with him. We're going to go back to our basketball talk. Jeff, why don't you bring on the man himself to talk a little basketball? Hey, Keith, how you doing? <laughs> I'm all right. It's like, now, nah, what's up, fellas? How y'all doing? <laughs> we are good. Keith Pompey, always fun to have you join us. Go ahead, Jeff. Keith, you got to tell us we're a week away from the deadline. Are the Sixers standing pat or are they going to do something? You know, I, I think it depends on what they can get. Um, you know, here's my thing. Like, you know, we, we talk about James Harden. You know, James Harden is a guy that, you know, you go from being a great team to an NBA championship contending team. And that's the type of guy that you're willing to give up a lot for, right? But if you can, if there's a guy who you feel as if that, uh, maybe they, you know, he's going to help us score five more points or ten more points a game or five more points a game, and really not making us a championship contender. I, I don't know if, if if I'm willing to give up the assets needed to go get that person. So I think that, you know, a lot of people are expecting a lot, but I feel like if the if the price isn't right, you know, there are going to be some people that may be a little disappointed come come Friday. If you had to put out someone now, if, if you had if you had to find a position that they needed to shore up most, would it be somebody like a point guard, like a Kyle Lowry, or would it be a, a, a big, a power forward type guy? You know, I, I would think that the biggest need would be a point guard. I mean, because if you look at it right now, you know, you have Ben Simmons, and then you say that, you know, Seth Curry, is actually, you know, one of your one of your primary ball handlers as well when Ben isn't playing. Then you have Shake Milton. But a lot of times lately they've been going to Tobias Harris, who's your starting power forward and having him as a point forward, so to speak. So the biggest need I think is a is a point guard. You know, a Kyle Lowry type of person, you know, someone like that, or maybe even a, a George Hill or, or or you know, you need a guy who is going to be a secondary ball handler. And, you know, especially when you want to go small and you have Ben Simmons at the five. You know, you mentioned Seth Curry in there. Uh, I saw your tweet earlier when you broke that he'll be out, I believe, two uh, two games with a sprained ankle. What's the status on him and also Joel Embiid with the knee injury? I think everybody's heart stopped when he got hurt at first, um, but sounded like nothing structural. What are you hearing about when he might be back on the court? Now, they're, they're saying for Joel, you know, at the earliest two weeks. So the timeline for him to be shelved is like two to three weeks, right? Um, you know, I'm also hearing like, you know, when you have a bone bruise, you tend to think like that's, that's something that can linger for a long time. But the Sixers are optimistic because they feel like he avoided serious injury, even with the bone bruise. Like where is bruised at in that area? you know, it's not like the central part of the knee. So it's not like where there's going to be a lot of pressure on him, like jumping and all that stuff. So they, they, they feel optimistic that, you know, he will be back two to three weeks and he'll be able to play, you know, uh, at, at a pretty high level when he gets back. You know, Seth Curry, is he's going to be reevaluated. Um, they play um, Sunday and, and Monday. And, and he's going to, no, excuse me, they play Saturday and Sunday. And, and he's going to be reevaluated after um, the Nets game, the Knicks game, and, and then we'll see from there. So to me, I, I expect Seth to be back um, on the West Coast trip at one particular point. You know, Embiid, I'm not 100% sure if we'll see him on that trip, but I, I think that he'll be back right afterwards.
You're about to follow that team on a West Coast trip, uh, which is going to be really tough, especially without Joel Embiid. If you had to point to one factor, one X factor that's going to make this trip a success, what would it be? You know, you're going to laugh at me, right? Because we talked about this beforehand. Like, okay, so I think that in order for the Sixers to have success, I think that Furkan um, Korkmaz has to play at an extremely high level. And the reason why I'm, I'm pinpointing Furkan is because, for the most part, we know what um, Ben is going to do. We know what um, Tobias is going to do. You know, uh, right now you're looking at it like Seth Curry is, is injured right now. You know, Danny Green is the is the defensive leader. Um, Shake Milton, he comes in and he gets buckets. I, I believe that in order for this team to be successful, that Furkan is going to have to continue the, 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 the play that he's been playing. You know, he has to make shots. He has to defend. He has to do a lot because there's going to be a time that one of those guys that we just talked about, they're going to struggle. They're going to have a down game. But Furkan has to be Mr. Consistent and come up with big shots in order for the Sixers to win. All right. So, Jason, how did you feel about him? What he just said? Look, I've been telling you that I thought that Furkan had to play. <laughs> and, I mean, look, you saw it the other night, Keith. He's the one that forced the overtime with the corner three, that they had no business even going to overtime with the Bucks after they blew a 19-point lead. Was that just a team that was tired, that couldn't hold that lead after such a long win streak that they had? What did we see against Milwaukee the other night? We saw a team that, like, messed the, a team that – I'm not going to say they choked but we saw the team that missed a golden opportunity. Now, you know, the thing is, you know, some people will say that they were tired, but then are we going to say the same thing about the New York Knicks the night before when the Sixers wore them down? You know, what I saw was I was, you know, I was at the game and the Milwaukee Bucks made a trade right before the game. Players were on the, on the floor, on the court in the layup line. And the next thing you know, they leave and go to the locker room, right? And then all of a sudden, one guy comes out and he's hugging up all his teammates. And you're like, okay, what happened here? What happened? And all of a sudden, they do the national anthem. And you look at Milwaukee, and they look like a team that did not want to play in the first half. So, to me, the Sixers are playing a team that's going – the Sixers were, 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 were physically tired, but this team was emotionally drained. And they came back from a 19-point deficit and beat the Sixers. So I know everyone wants to give the Sixers, you know, the excuse that they were tired, but at the same time, believe me, that the, th the thing that the Bucks went through was also tiring mentally. And I, I don't want to hear it. You know what I mean? Like 19 points, you're up. Like you're up 19 points. You can't lose that game, especially with everything, you know, um, at stake at that particular time. So, no, nah, I'm not going to give them an excuse. And, and I'm not going to say they choked. I'm just going to say they blew a golden opportunity. Is Doc starting to get more confidence in Matisse Tybel? Seems like he's getting a little more time on the court, occasionally shooting the ball a little bit more. What are we seeing there? I think Matisse is getting more confidence in his shot, which is enabling Doc to keep him out there more. You know, because you know, let's face it, you know, Matisse is, you can argue that Matisse is their best on-ball defender. I know that everybody talks about Ben Simmons, right? You know, but when you look at per minute, and I'm not one of those per minute type of guys because no one plays like 48 minutes a game, right? So why do we do stats for that, right? Stuff like that. But when you look at it, Matisse has more success than Ben Simmons, like if, if you want to go that route. 
Um, Matisse shut down people. The problem was that offensively, you know, he was a little hesitant to shoot. He didn't want to shoot the ball. With that being said, you know, you can't play just one side of the ball, especially if you're a rotation guy, and, and, and get an impact. So, you know, Doc took his minutes away, but then all of a sudden he started hitting some threes and doing things, and now it's like Doc is leaving him out there more. So it's more or less Matisse did it, and Doc is rewarding him for it. Well, as you reported today, though, Seth Curry is not going to be out for at least a couple games here. So does Matisse slide into that starting spot, or does it go to Furcon or somebody else? You know, for me personally, I, I think it, 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 it probably might be a situational thing. But, you know, the last couple games, uh, Matisse did. He was the starting two guard, right? Um, I, I think that'll work out well just because you have De'Aaron, at least for this game, tomorrow's game, they played De'Aaron Fox. You know, De'Aaron Fox was just destroying the Sixers for three quarters the last time they played. In the fourth quarter, Doc put Matisse on him, and De'Aaron struggled in the fourth. So I like to say that I would bring him in and have him, I mean, start Matisse, have him guard De'Aaron, and then put um, Ben on um, – uh, Buddy Hield and let him use his length to prevent him from getting shots. So I, I think that for this one particular game, I'm riding with Matisse to be in the starting lineup. They're playing Sacramento, as you mentioned, they're playing Sacramento tomorrow night. Is there anybody on this Sacramento Kings team that you think that this Daryl Morey and the team is scouting to see whether or not they're an option? Well, they got a guy, uh, Blanita. I, I'm, I'm, I don't even want to say his first name because I know I'm gonna butcher it. But he's it's okay. Jason and I this, did that earlier today. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so the thing with him is he's a guy who a lot of people may forget, but he he said that he was going to sign with the Sixers, and next thing you know, like a week or so later, he decided that he wasn't. Maybe even less than that, he decided that he was he, he was he wasn't going to get a V. He said. Sixers said he couldn't get his visa. He had visa problems or something. Well, the next day, we find out that he signed with the Sacramento Kings. Now, he's a guy that could help them if they want to go, you know, the uh, the forward position. He could play the four. He could play the five. He would be a backup power forward, and he could, you know, he could play center at, at, at certain points. So he's the one that they can go after. The thing is, he hasn't been in, in the Kings rotation, but he would be a quality fit for the Sixers. You know, he would be kind of sort of like an Ursan Ilovasova, you know, uh, for the Sixers. But, but that's the one guy that I can see that they would go after. Keith, I did want to ask, what's the talk either with the Sixers or in the NBA? Uh, you saw 14 Atlanta Hawks players get vaccinated. Uh, some of the New Orleans Pelicans players got vaccinated. The NBA is saying they'll relax some rules and give expanded benefits for players that are vaccinated. What's the talk among the teams about getting vaccinated? And look, I mean, you travel with them among, among reporters too. Um, you know, I'm in the process of getting vaccinated. Well, right now I got my first, I had my first vaccination yesterday. So I'll go back, you know, in a couple of weeks. But, um, you know, I mean, I think everyone wants to do it. I, I shouldn't say everyone. You know, there are certain people who are leery of it, you know, um, you know, based on, you know, the history, especially with, you know, African Americans when the when the United States did a study and was injecting guys with syphilis and stuff like that, right? So there are some people who are a little leery of it, but but at the same time, you know, you know, people that realize that this is a different time for the most part. 
and that they want to get vaccinated just so, let's face it, you know, if you're around your teammates and stuff like that in the setting, you know, you don't have to have as many restrictions. So I, I feel like this is something that's happening. I feel like a lot of people aren't talking about it. What I mean by, like, okay, the Atlanta Hawks mentioned it. Um, the New Orleans Pelicans mentioned it. But this is still a sensitive situation because, you know, here we are. We're having millionaire basketball players getting vaccinated, and then there are certain people still waiting for their parents or grandparents to get vaccinated. So it's one of those things where a lot of people aren't talking about it, but you have to believe if two teams did it, a lot of teams are doing it. Wanted to ask too, not vaccine related. What's it like having fans back in the stadium? Even 3,100 fans seemed a lot louder than 3,100 fans in that arena the other night. What's that like? It was great, man. I really enjoyed it um, because it gets to a point like now. This wasn't the first time that the Sixers played in front of fans. I mean, I, I want to say when they went to Orlando, December the 31st, there were. Um, there were fans in the stands. When they went to the third game of the season, they went to Cleveland. There were fans in the stands. So, you know, and, and there's been other games, I want to say five or six games on the road where there were fans in the stands. The good part is, like, Philadelphia fans are unique, right? I mean, it was like, you know, when the, when the other team comes out on the court, you hear the booze, and you're like, okay, I'm back in Philly. And then when they're announced, you hear the chants, right? You know the, uh, the the negative chance, I will say, right? So it 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 it's, it's great. I mean, I kind of liked it. I enjoyed it. I felt like they brought a lot of energy, and it was like I said, it was unique to Philadelphia than any other place. And I feel like the fans give the Sixers a huge home advantage. I mean, they really do. Now, on the downside of that, if you're a new seventy sixer and your team is struggling, you have to know that the fans are going to start booing you too. Yeah, but I mean, look, over the last couple seasons, there aren't many teams that have been better at home than the Sixers have been at home. It can only benefit them to have fans there as long as they're playing. Granted, as long as they're playing well, but they have been playing well. And again, going back to the Bucks game, the only reason they lost that game is because Seth Curry went down, Steph, Seth Curry went down and Joel Embiid wasn't playing. I mean, you throw those two guys in the lineup and they win and that place is going bananas. I mean, it would be so much better if, if for to have as many people in the stands as possible, don't you think? Yeah, I agree. I agree. I agree. I mean, yeah, I mean, here's the thing. When they come back, what's it going to be, like April the 4th? It's going to be their first home game, I believe, after this road trip. They're going to, it's going to be, they're going to probably have, what, they got 3,100 now? They're going to have at least 5,000 people in there, at least. It may even be more because that's when, you know, they're expecting, you know, for the re like the, uh, fewer restrictions or they're going to, you know, lessen the restrictions a little bit. So it, it's going they're going to have more fans in there. And, you know, I expect like, you know, once the playoffs come, there's going to be even more fans in the stands. So, yeah, it's going to be electric. I'm, I'm telling you, like, you could, I travel a lot of places and, there's nothing like going to a game in Philly, right, because of the fans. It's kind of like the fans are part of the act. I mean, I know he said that after the Green Bay game, he decided that he was done and wanted to be out. Uh, your thoughts on what we're seeing, the Eagles got under the cap. 
uh, they let a bunch of people. Wow. Oh, wow. I, my favorite move was Marquise Goodman reverting to the Niners for them to get their pick back for the, the Niners to then cut Marquise Goodwin, Goodman. So, you know, I, I don't know what they did. They've got a lot of free agents right now. This team's going to look very different. They've got 11 picks in the draft right now. And you still have Zach Ertz in a potential move that they seem to want to get more than other teams want to give for him. If you're Brandon Graham, why exactly do you want to come back here? Unless you can't get money anywhere else. You like the cheesesteaks in Philadelphia? <laughs> I, I hate to tell people in Philadelphia next year, it's not even close. The Eagles are the worst team in the NFC East. It, it could be. It, it is, it, it's not even close. The Cowboys are going to be decent to good. Their defense still stinks right now, but their offense is pretty darn good. Washington was already a good team. Now got themselves Fitzmagic, which which gives them a good quarterback. They got receivers. Um, the Giants are good, not great, but they're still much better than the Eagles. And the Eagles just are in a total rebuild at this point. You surprised after what they're doing that they apparently made an offer to Juju Smith Schuster, who decided to stay in Pittsburgh. Who decided to stay in Pittsburgh instead? Uh, I don't get it. I don't understand. And you you say this to me all the time, on and off the air. How is Howie Roseman, the Teflon guy that survived <laughs> all this? He all we heard when he was the younger Howie Roseman is he was the cap guru, and and could you have mismanaged this cap more than he has mismanaged this cap? Look and at. every move he's making is now we're talking about giving away Zach Ertz for basically nothing. Cause he missed the boat on that one too. You know, my opinions. <laughs> and, and, and now the latest is, you know, we may draft a quarterback. We may not draft a quarterback. Yeah. You're really being wily right now. I mean, come on. Aren't you, aren't, aren't you glad you talked football? maddening to be an Eagles fan but, but you know what I am happy for Carson Wentz because it wasn't fun here <laughs> I mean come on you, you go to a new city you get a fresh start do you not read the playbook of what you do when you go to a new city you thank the people from the old city you talk about how you were part of a Super Bowl team and then you talk about how excited you are with your new city and your new opportunity you don't sit there and go through, well, if some of the guys in the locker room didn't think I was a good teammate, I'm sorry, and that it wasn't really fun in my old city. Really, do you think that the guys in the new locker room, when they see that, go, oh, boy, what did we get here? That will be their problem now. Does that mean I now officially get rid of my Wentz wagon shirt? Yeah, I was, well, that I was literally just going <laughs> to ask you. Do, does that mean we have seen the last of your Wentz wagon T-shirt? I guess. Have we? I, I guess. Or so. is that know. is that an heirloom that's going to be passed down to your kids, or you just going? Is that going to be you know something that you can dry your car with after you washed it? It may have to be passed down. It, it, it definitely don't may don't have. do that to your kids. <laughs> I'm already making them fill it up pans. Isn't that bad enough? <laughs> yeah, it is. Well, <laughs> Brandon's starting to ask. You'll you'll appreciate this. It's like they're finally Brandon's starting finally starting to ask me to watch games with him. So like he'll want to watch a little of the basketball game or a little bit of the hockey game. We still haven't yeah. gone. What do, you, really what do you what do you do if if the kid and I know how much you love your sons, and he says, Daddy, I want one of those jerseys with the star on it. No way. That's what bad parenting. If, what if he cries? What are you going to do? He'll get over it. 
Really? Yep. You, you say that boldly, man. I will I want, do. I would. I can't wait to find out what happens. I will now, do anything. I don't want him to have a star, but if he asked for a nice blue NY jersey, you know. Nope. I will do anything for Uncle, my son. Uncle Jeff may be providing him with a little jersey. If if you believe that he should have something, you can give it to him, and we'll see whether that <laughs> ends up in his wardrobe. I would guess against it, but that's your your option. You know what? I bet you're excited that we're going to get off the air because right about now, we're almost at the end of the Oral Roberts Ohio State game, and it's still close. Yeah, I've been checking the score. They're down four. No. Down two. You, you, you haven't been completely focused on the show. You've been watching scores. I cannot believe it. I've definitely had the scores up to give you an update. Just so Ohio you know, State. I can I can see I can see the game in like in the in reflection. Your eye, in yeah, in your eyes. Yes. Can you see that Oral <laughs> Roberts is down two with 41 seconds left? Can't tell who I'm rooting for there. As <laughs> <laughs> I said, <laughs> what do you do? do? Do you go with Ohio State? Unfortunately, uh, Hartford is uh, not keeping it close against Baylor, 43-26. Any final thoughts, Jeff? Uh, it's going to be a fun weekend. It is. Get to watching your TV. Go Rutgers. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.